All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you today from Toledo, Ohio, and this is the 22nd day of June 2021. Before I talk more about today's show, let me remind you that I am the editor of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks and that you can subscribe to my letter by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. We also like to encourage you to consider signing up for Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling? Go to chenpicks.com, chenpicks.com. And Michael Oliver, who is with me today, also we like to encourage you to check his letter out. It's olivermsa.com, olivermsa.com. I do want to thank all of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. Also, want to invite you to keep uh, sending along whatever comments you have about our show to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. We also do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable because without them, there would be no show. Novo Resources, Sitka Gold Corp., El Oro Resources, Irving Resources, Hannon Metals, Lion One Metals, SK Mining Corp., NV, NV Gold Corp., and Firefox Gold. Today's show uh, has to do with the uh, outlook for U.S. stocks, and uh, my main guest, uh, Dr. Peter Treadway, will be with me in the second half of the hour, and he's going to talk about that. Uh, joining me in just a moment, Michael Oliver and Corwin Co. will be with us after the first break. Corwin is the uh, he's the CEO of Sitka Gold Corp. So Peter, uh, that is uh, Peter Treadway, uh, is focused on the global markets and uh, with a real focus on Asia. In fact, he's managing money uh, for clients in that part of the world. He is an economist, has spent time uh, with the uh, actually with his lead economist. Uh, for Fannie Mae in the past, over a 10-year period, uh, many years ago. Uh, but when Peter comes on, I really do want to ask him uh, what his views are on the worsening of relations between China and U.S. and how that might impact uh, investments, and are there some investment opportunities for Americans in that part of the world? Uh, those are some of the things that we want to talk to him about, especially in light of the, uh, the Biden administration, which is uh, generally viewed as being uh, more friendly uh, towards other countries around the world, at least that's the that that's what we're hearing. It's the propaganda, anyway. Um, and the, the Trump administration gone now. One would think everything ought to be uh, uh, hunky dory. Uh, so we'll we'll hear what Peter has to say when when he comes on in the second half of today's show. Um, and also, um, as I say, Corwin Cole will be with me after the first commercial break to talk about Sitka Gold, which has three different projects. Uh, that they're working on and drilling this summer, and uh, uh, there's there could be some very good things happening there. So we'll we'll catch up with Corwin in the second segment. But right now, I'm really happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is with me. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. Now, um, you know, many of the market pundits are, are focused on the CPI and commodity prices in terms of the Fed policy. There's worries about inflation, lots of inflation going on. I know uh, Mr. Powell is talking today, no doubt probably trying to uh, con- convince everybody that everything is under control and he's got not, that, that there's nothing to worry about. Uh, America is going to be as great and as prosperous as ever. But anyway, it's my understanding that you believe more important than the commodity markets and the CPI, people should be watching the equity markets. Why so? Well, obviously, the since the March lows of last year, uh, which was a very brief three-week phenomenon, actually. It was a crash event, obviously. Uh, we turned up. 
And ever since that low, it's been up, 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 up. So the stock market has not, for the last year, been a negative cloud over the, over sentiment or anything of the sort, and not a negative factor for the Fed to consider. Mm-hmm. And remember, the Fed doesn't say it often, but Bernanke wrote a paper years ago, 2003, in which he argued that implicit Fed policy should be to support the stock market because of its psychological importance to issues like spending versus savings, which, of course, they'd rather have spending by consumers and therefore stimulate the economy, et cetera, et cetera. So it's an important issue for them, even though they don't want to address it that way, because mm-hmm. that would be admitting too much. But it's not been a negative, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, what if it turned down? Mm-hmm. And I don't mean crash, but I mean if it just turned down. Well, our work, uh, long-term uh, technical analysis of the S&P, argues right now that we're probably in transition, we're making a top. Now, I'm not 100% sure we've seen the high yet, but I don't think it's much above this month's high, which is barely above where we are right now. Next mm-hmm. quarter, meaning next week, if the S&P is found is trading anywhere around where it is now, and including slightly above last quarter's price high, our momentum work on quarterly momentum, which is to say we measure price month-by-month bars in their relationship to the changing three-quarter moving average. Now, three-quarter moving average is sort of like a big old clumsy version of a 200-day average, Mm -hmm. same duration, approximately 200 days and three-quarters, so forth. Uh, That will break down in a serious, definable way in the S&P and the Dow Industrials. If you're just fiddling around anywhere near where you are now, even a percent uh-huh. or so higher than this. I'm going to break it down. Now, when mm-hmm. that occurs, it opens the door, in our view, for at least a 10% void below the market. Mm. Not 30%, but 10% before you can even find any next possible credible ledge to try to defend. Now, even a 10% drop is, is dramatic right now. If you look at the yeah, market. sure, Since, absolutely, you know, yeah. that would jolt people. It would cause confidence to you know wane mm-hmm. <laughs> rapidly. Uh, now the the real problem is not the S and P and the Dow breaking down on quarterly momentum, but if they do that, and I think they will, it will help drive the leader index, the one that has been the strongest over the last several years of this now dozen year old bull market, the Nasdaq 100. Mm-hmm. And if you break the NASDAQ 100's annual momentum, which I would argue if you break the S&P through its quarterly and the Dow through its quarterly, highly likely their downdraft will escort the, the NASDAQ down through its structure, mm-hmm. which will engage its annual momentum into a negative trend. Mm-hmm. Far more serious, because it is also the leader index in terms of its weightings, you know, mm-hmm. the symbols that constitute so much that... You know, you take five symbols and they explain the stock market move. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so I see that happening, highly likely. I see the quarterly downturn in the Dow and the S&P is almost a done deal. Then the question is, okay, will that escort the NASDAQ down? And I think it will. Now, if that occurs, obviously asset managers who are already nervous about issues like the value of your money, Ray Dalio has used that phrase. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about the value of your stock. Look at the value of the underlying money unit, which he's concerned is, is, of course, disintegrating. Guys like him who aren't gold bugs are moving money, in our opinion, from Mm -hmm. a hefty stock position into a lesser and lesser stock position. Some of the evidence of that we think has occurred a couple weeks ago in the bond market, where T-bonds, T-notes, or the ETF, TLT, which is quite popular, 20-year-plus duration of U.S. government, that um, they turned up in price mm-hmm. by our metrics. Mm-hmm. And uh, price is not advanced dramatically, but it's, it's advanced. It surprised a lot of people, meaning yields dropped, actually, yes. despite the talk of higher rates. That is evidence to us that there is, in fact, money moving out of mm-hmm. stocks. Now, if you jolt the stocks 10% or so, there's going to be even more money moving out. Mm-hmm. And we know where the two areas are that they will put that money, mm-hmm. bonds and gold. Right. And I think, therefore, if you're long gold and concerned about the resumption of the upside, I'd be watching the stock market for negatives on the downside. All right. So uh, just real uh, quickly here with about a minute left, Michael, how uh, technically how are the uh, how are the gold and silver markets looking to you? I think that sell off we had last week was basically it. It lasted about 
uh, five to six daylight trading hours. Mm-hmm. To drop gold, a hundred bucks. Right now, we're about a percent off that low, and we've been quietly uh, stable since that low. And that's Thursday's low. It nipped it out uh, this week or, or on Friday marginally, but it re- basically it stopped on Thursday morning. Uh, I think that was probably basically you can circle it and say, okay, that's a secondary low. The primary low of the pullback was in March, which mm-hmm. is down in the 1670s. Right mm-hmm. now, we're at 1780. So I don't think this pullback is going to that low. I think this is about it. Now, we, we've got a, more evidence we need to see to, to indicate that. As far as silver goes, I can give you a number. Mm-hmm. Uh, silver closed weeklies price charts above 28 in the last rally over the last several weeks ago before the mm-hmm. Fed thing. Right. Go back over 28 again, you should be gone. It, it'll mm-hmm. take off. Uh-huh. The silver should fully break out of the range that it's been stuck in since uh, July last year. Uh-huh. And and gold might move with it? Uh, oh, gold, not as, gold not will as move much with it, obviously. Yeah, silver's yeah. not going to do that if gold's not accommodative. And yeah. I think gold is, is building its low here. We're oversold on all of our short-term metrics, weekly momentum, daily momentum. They're all screaming, mm-hmm. uh, okay, you know, the bears had their, had their chance. They had their glorious five trading hours. <laughs> <laughs> based on headlines, and I think that that's, that's going to evaporate, and we're going back up. All right. Very good. All right. Oh, we'll okay. keep our eyes on the equity markets, the S&P, and those five big big names especially, I guess, right? Yeah. So, All right. Okay. Well, thanks, Michael. Thank you so much for, uh, for that you, overview. Very helpful. Thank you. Folks, uh, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because Corwin Co. of Sitka Gold will be with us right after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Firefox Gold is actively exploring in Finland, where recent discoveries have sparked a new gold rush. Firefox controls a major portion of a prospective gold belt, giving the company a distinct advantage for exploration and strategic partnerships. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, will put Firefox on the crest of the coming wave of gold discoveries. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates. SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQB is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, funding in place, and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questions4taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to tell you that I'm here with Corwin Co. He is a CEO and a board member of Sitka Gold. It's a company that has three projects that are all being explored uh, uh, with uh, with drill holes. I think all three of them have drill projects going this summer, uh, this year. And uh, so it's really, really good to have Corwin with me today to give us an update on what I think are some pretty exciting stories. Uh Sika trades SIG in, in uh, Canada. You can buy it in the U.S. as I have under SITKF. 110.4 million shares out. I saw it trading at around 15, 15 and a half cents in Canadian money today, giving it a market cap, a minuscule market cap of 17 million. Uh, and that's good news for those of you looking to buy uh, inexpensive shares with some good exploration prospects. So, uh, Corwin, thank you so much for joining me again. Thank you, Jay. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's it's good to have you with us again. And I, and I should, for those who might not be familiar with you, uh, let people know that you have a, an engineering background. Uh, you're a professional geologist. Uh, you've had some real success under your belt uh, deposits, and you put a couple of mines into production. So you you've had a lot of experience, which is one of the most important things that investors should be aware of. A uh, uh, good experience. Um, I. I as I recall, last year was your real first year that you drilled on your RC property in the Yukon, and uh, it was a pretty short season. But you had some pretty good, pretty good results, as I re- recall, and you were quite excited about it. Um, you know, they weren't maybe the the most the highest blockbuster numbers we saw from other some other companies, but as a geologist, they they look pretty good to you. So, wh- what can you tell us about your objectives for this year's drill program? And I know, I know you're very excited about the RC. So tell us about it. Okay, uh, Jay. Well, first of all, you know, we're targeting intrusion-related gold deposits, which are mm-hmm. large bulk tonnage, multi-million-ounce deposits. Um, and mm-hmm. a good example is uh, Victoria Gold's Eagle Mine that's in production about uh-huh. uh, 40 kilometers away from our property. So uh, it, they're not blockbuster numbers, but uh, like uh, Victoria Gold, they're mining around 0.65 grams per uh-huh. ton and, and making money. So mm-hmm. that's a good uh, anchor for us to when we're looking at uh, exploring for these deposits. And, mm-hmm. uh, yes, we're, we were really ecstatic with the results we got last year um, at our RC Gold project. We identified an area from mostly geochem work that was about two kilometers long and about 500 meters wide that uh, we ended up putting the first four drill holes, uh, diamond drill holes, into that system, and all four of those holes came back with gold from top to bottom, Mm-hmm. And significant intercepts that were comparable to Victoria Gold's uh, mine grade, or even mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. One of those holes bottomed in 16 grams per ton gold for two years. Wow! Wow! So, so, so yeah, definitely that's our main objective is to uh, further define this whole system, and um, part of that uh, objective is um, putting about 10,000 meters of drilling, mm-hmm. primarily into that. So that's where we're focused on RC Gold, but we also have additional targets that we're um, kind of refining as well that we might put a couple of drill holes into. Mm-hmm. So that's where we're at with RC Gold. We've completed mm-hmm. uh, three holes to date, and um, we're guesstimating that we're going to probably have about 20, 25 holes into that this year. 20, 25 holes. And uh, what's the tor- sort of turnaround time? Uh, these days, I know everybody's sort of backed up in the in the labs because of COVID and people staying at home. How, how's that? How's that looking? Well, that's a hard one for me to answer because you yeah. get a different story when you're when you're contracting with the lab than you do uh, when you actually get your results. Uh huh. Yeah. So we, we put our first first drill hole into the lab uh, last Thursday, and we'll just have to wait and see um, when it when it comes down the pike. But um, I would say that it's going to be, um, for sure, you know, three or four weeks minimum. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm I'm really cautious about putting out uh, timelines for yeah for don't blame you. because of the way it's been last year. <clears throat> yeah, I know. And if you promise investors one thing and you're late, it doesn't it doesn't help your uh, it doesn't it help doesn't you go well. <laughs> no, it doesn't go well. Let, let me ask you this, though, Corwin. Uh, you you mentioned that 16 gram per ton, the deepest hole, one of your deeper holes at the end of the hole. Anyway, a lot of these intrusion related systems sometimes can get get right rich, get a lot richer, uh, deeper. Right? Is that a prospect here, potentially, where you might have a lot of bulk mineable stuff on surface and then something deeper, uh, higher grade. That's right. You can have overprinting of different types of uh, mineralization, too, of gold mineralization within the within the system. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's it's quite common to get some higher grade um, areas as well in these intrusion related mm-hmm. systems. <clears throat> and and um, how late can you work there? How late in the year? We can work into probably the middle of October if we want to. But uh, mm-hmm. generally, we like to be out of there by about the middle of September. All right, you know, all just, right. Uh, you just well, this is this is the the one project that you have a short season working on, but you have 
others in Arizona and Nevada that you can go around, or I guess pretty much around the, around the year. Um, so, which brings me to your Alpha project in Nevada. Now, I know that you put out, I think you're pretty excited about a drill result you put out, and, and, and not so much because of the grade, which was, I think, 0.1 grams per ton uh, gold. That's not going to get a lot of um, people who don't understand geology and, and mineralization to uh, very excited. But there were 93 meters of that, which is, you know, something. Um, talk to us a little bit about, as a geologist, why this is really important and why you're excited about it. And this is a your Alpha project, which is a Carlin-style gold target. And, of course, those things, when you really get a good one, they're, they're really worth a lot. But what are, what are your plans there, and what are your thoughts about the Alpha project? Well, we're, we're really excited about Alpha Gold right now, much more than we were before we drilled the last two drill holes. And, and part of that is because... Um, it confirmed that we have uh, the geological model is intact and we have this target zone at a shallow depth. Um, the fact that we got anomalous gold over 93 meters in, in one hole and 57 meters in the other uh, just helped that. But mm-hmm. the real thing is that, uh, um, more importantly, we ended up with significantly elevated coincident pathfinder elements mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that are, are typical for these Carlin-type deposits. And that, coupled with the degree of alteration and the structural controls in that area, um, underline that we are in a very prospective environment for a Carlin-type uh, deposit. So the geological community is really excited about it, but of course, um, just looking at the grade of the gold, um, well, that was, for us, it was really positive because it shows that there's gold in the system, but we're mm-hmm. not in the heart of the system. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're vectoring right now. Okay, so next- you'll be vectoring. How how much drilling do you plan to do there? And these are these are fairly deep holes, I believe, aren't they, Co? Uh, no, they're not, uh, Jay. Um, that's the whole thing. This um, our our last uh, phase of drilling there, we drilled two holes and confirmed that this this system is only like a, a few hundred feet down oh. um, from surface, and mm-hmm. uh, we're figuring on putting in five or six more holes in this phase. That's that's vectoring in, based on on like I say the the, the alteration uh, intensity, the structural controls, the geochemistry on the surface. Uh, we found out a lot from the last two drill holes, and and we had to actually expand our uh, our property package mm-hmm. to um, to include some additional ground there. Mm-hmm. So, some additional um, ground. <clears throat> I I think that. Uh, Alpha Gold is uh, is going to be very interesting over the next couple of months on what we see here. Yeah, I mean, when we first uh, when we first introduced your story, um, it was Alpha was sort of the long shot. You know, the um, the Grand Slam home run in the bottom of the ninth in the last game of the World Series type of thing. <laughs> uh, if you hit it, it's just going to put you on the map, and everybody will know you. Uh, but you know who knows? You you got. It sounds like you the odds are better now than they were when you first started oh, drilling better. on it. So so much, you can uh, you, you can pay attention to that all year round as you can the Burrow Creek with about three and a half minutes left. Yet uh, Corwin, talk to us about Burrow Creek. What uh, how how is that going? What are you planning to do this year with that one? Well, Burrow Creek again. Um, we plan on drilling there, but it would be in the fall, and it's subject mm-hmm. to us finally getting our BLM. Uh, permission to uh, to step off of the private property onto our federal mining line claims. So um, we're we're we've got indications we should have that permit any time. Uh, we don't intend to go down there in the desert in the middle of the summer anyhow. Yeah. But, um, we would like to be there drilling in October, um, kind of as we're as we're closing up everything in the Yukon, to step out there. And uh, we've got about a kilometer of strike length that's never been drilled that we've we've been able to uh, identify as the extension of the borough vein system that mm-hmm. has the, the historical deposit on it. So that's our plan down there, and uh, hopefully that's going to come together uh, in the fall. Yeah, that's really, a, I think, an open pit uh, surface target, right? That's right, yeah. yeah. In Arizona, and so you're sort of like the, the traditional Canadian... Uh, what do you call them? Snow bunnies? You're uh, you're up there in the in the in the summertime, up in the Yukon. In the wintertime, you go down there to the 
to the torrid heat of uh, Arizona and Nevada as a Burrow Creek. And I know that, um, what is the resource on that? Well, there's a historical resource. It's been drilled twice of about 120,000 yeah. ounces of gold and about yeah. 5 million ounces of silver. Yeah. And the grade's about 0.6 grams per ton in the gold and about uh, uh, one and a half ounces, or 44, 45 grams mm-hmm. per ton silver. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, All right. It's definitely very attractive at this at these prices today. Right, and and so that uh, resource is from just a small portion of the structure, I think. That's right. That's right. Nobody yeah. ever stepped off of that resource and actually yeah. looked at uh, seeing if this thing extended through the mountain. And we've we've confirmed that from our first phase of drilling last year. That mm-hmm. yes, it does. So, and uh, uh, how? Good. So you so BLM permits, and you'll be off to doing some drilling there in the fall, hopefully. Uh, how well funded are you for all these programs? Well, we did a financing in March and raised six point four million dollars. Uh-huh. And uh, on top of that, we had some uh, some money in the treasury as well, and also there was some warrants taken down. So we're very well financed. The treasury's. Uh, um, Pretty good. Um, we're planning on spending about $3 million um, in the Yukon and our Canadian properties and about another million down in, uh, in Nevada and Arizona. That's our budget. So it's going to leave us with a surplus of at least a couple million dollars um, mm-hmm. at the end of the year. So we're not looking at going to the market for any financing. In the okay, that's the... All right, so hopefully uh, when you do go to the market again, and, and uh, that's likely going to have to happen sometime, uh, you're going to do it at a much higher price, I, I would guess. I think you're going to hit on one of these. Uh, I would guess that's, you. That's my hope. That's why I'm holding your shares. So uh, I know I know you can't promise anything, but that's that's our hope. Uh, so anyway, it's, it's really good. I'm, uh, I guess then people should just be watching for news releases and uh, assays and uh, over well, the next several major, months. The major drivers are going to be the drilling and the assay results for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And there is the possibility as well that we refine some of our, our new targets at RC and uh, have another mm-hmm. discovery there. So, so there will be a lot of information coming down the pipe between Alpha and, and uh, RC drilling for sure over the next All few right. months. All right. Very good. Well, we'll look to keep up with you, that's for sure. Uh, Cor, thank you so much for being with us again, and we'll, uh, okay, we'll, we'll hope, to do it. You. hope to do it again sometime. All right. Very good. Well, folks, uh, that is uh, we, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because Peter Treadway will be with us to uh, talk about uh, his views on the equity markets as well as uh, the Asian, uh, U.S. and Asian situation and the markets and prospects for, uh, for investing in that part of the world. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Peter Treadway. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Lion Wine Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questions at gmail.com. 
That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again, Dr. Peter Treadway. Peter is an independent consultant and money manager and has served as an adjunct professor in Asia. He is currently a principal of Historical Analytics, LLC. It's a consulting and investment management firm dedicated to global portfolio management with a focus on Asia. Its investment approach is based on Dr. Treadway's Wall Street experience. Uh, he provides a monthly letter entitled The Dismal Optimist uh, that's uh, produced for his clients. Uh, Dr. Treadway also serves part-time as chief economist at CT Risks, that's a Hong Kong company. In this capacity in Asia, uh, he has given occasionally one-day workshops on sovereign risk, so that's an area of, of focus for him. Uh, his distinguished career includes serving as chief economist at Fannie Mae, 1978-81, and institutional equity uh, anal- analyst uh, as a managing director at Smith Barney, 1985 to 1998, and he was ranked as an all-star analyst 11 times by institutional investor magazines. Dr. Treadway holds his Ph.D. from uh, University of North Carolina, an MBA from NYU, and his undergraduate degree is in English from Fordham University. And I should say before I say hello to Peter, you should go to peter-treadway.com, peter-treadway.com. That is a website that provides a lot of very valuable insights into especially what's going on in Asia. That's a freebie. You can go there and get that. You don't have to be a client of his, and I highly recommend that you do that. So, Peter, thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. You know, on May 5th, you wrote an article that I that I read uh, titled, The Outlook for U.S. Stocks Has Turned Bearish. And uh, assuming that's still your view now, a month more than a month later, could you explain your thinking I'm there? I'm going to qualify. I, in a way, when I, re- I realized when I looked back at that, if the Biden administration gets everything at once, the outlook is negative. Uh, that That's really the qualifier. It's a big qualifier. Um, but it's, we have um, what I view as a, really an anti-market administration, you know, between taxes and this uh, exaggerated emphasis on um, uh, clean energy uh, we, and, and all the rules and regulations. This is, these are big negatives. Now, he may not get everything. So let's uh, that's that's it sounds partisan. But I can criticize Trump, too. Oh, absolutely. uh, Peter, one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on is I think you are really an objective objective thinker uh, and and not a nonpartisan. So uh, in that regard, at least, you're looking out for your clients. So uh, realizing reality is a very essential aspect uh, of what you do. Uh, So maybe you could go in a little bit to the climate change concerns. Uh, You you stated in that article, uh, May 5th article, and I'll quote, you said, claiming that climate policy is not only good for climate, but also will actually make everyone rich is a comforting bedside story, but it is flat out wrong. Could you talk uh, just, just yeah, from where, wearing, where, wearing your economist hat? Uh, you admit you're not a scientist. so It, it costs a fortune. The, the, we're, we're moving away from tried and true and cheap energy and to expensive stuff that may or may not work. Um, that's the, the bottom line. It's all subsidies. You know, the, even the um, uh, electric cars, uh, they require all kinds of subsidies. Now, maybe they, in the future they won't. But so the cost of, of, of a full-scale green energy policy is very high. It's not good for the stock market and, or good for the economy. And that's the, you know, you can read all you want. It's not true that every every scientist in the world thinks the the world's coming to an end uh, because of uh, um, climate change. Climate change has been going on for you know as long as Earth has been here. The question is how much has humanity contributed, and that's debatable. And I'm not trying to pretend that I have that I really have the answers on that, other than as an economist, the costs are really very high. Let's say, let's say it's correct that the that the, the the gloom and doom forecasts are really right. Doesn't matter. It's it's going to cost a fortune and and really hurt the economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the 
the cure may be greater than the disease, as they say sometimes. Well, I, I, I know that uh, everyone who, uh, let's say that all the scientists who get paid to write about climate change seem to be on that side uh, of the doom and gloomers. Uh, there are independent uh, scientists who beg to differ and are not so sure that it's so clear cut. So it does seem to be a very emotional thing. Though. Well, it's become a, a government policy around the world. And therefore, if you're a young scientist, you're getting a Ph.D., and you, you know, if, if you you've you got to be on board. Exactly. That's the point. It's, this is really this is true for a number of things, but it's really um there's been a government takeover of research that started really in the post-war period, and um, they have to they have to go with the. Uh, usually, there are a number of books, mostly by people who are older and either retired or totally tenured. Yeah. <laughs> so they can write what they want. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, just just thinking about China, and I know you're focused on Asia. That uh, I'm I'm hearing that China is building. A lot of coal-driven uh, uh, electric power plants, and at the same time, of course, there's a big pressure not to do that, not to, you know, not to use um, hydrocarbons for everything, anything in in the U.S. But do you think that China? I mean, we have these agreements. Uh, to what extent do the developing countries are they going to, you know, adhere to these very costly green policies? I mean, I, I have my doubts. They're not. You're right. They're not. And, um, you know, China, we have to distinguish something. People go to China or they used to, uh, you know, you walk down the street in Shanghai and it's uh, or, or Beijing and there's tremendous amount of uh, pollution in the air. It's worse in India. Um, so the, but that's not climate change. That's particulate. Yes. Uh, that's you can't see carbon dioxide. And not only that, it gets recycled in the plant. It's plant food. Exactly <laughs> so, right. Exactly right. Yeah, that's but right. You, but 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 the China really has to work at getting rid of. You know, it's it's unhealthy when people are. Uh, I they have. You know, I guess they ha they feel as though they have to build uh, more. They you know we we had this kind of energy and they needed to develop, but. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I'm not uh, really thrilled over there putting in a lot of coal plants. Yeah, well, exactly, right. But they have, obviously, uh, political reasons to try to clean up their environment as well. Uh, I'd like to just ask you a little bit about what I perceive to be some really rapidly changing things geopolitically. I don't know if you see it that way or not. I'm going to be interviewing a, a person named Michael Pembroke. Pembroke, he's a former judge in Australia. He's written a book called America in Retreat, in which he not only sees America as a declining power, but China as an ascending power. And I'm wondering if, in general, if you see it that way, too. That's sort of my view, and I, I really think it's a shame on the U.S. side because it isn't necessary. But we, we, we're making – the fact that China is 1.4 billion people and that they are finally – I hate to, this term, China has stood up. You know where that comes from? It, it comes in 1949, Mao stood in front of, the communists had taken over Beijing, and he stood in front of, I don't know, a million people and say, China has stood up. Unfortunately, there were a few nasty things in, to come, but that is a, become a, a line from China. They're not going to put up with with uh, insults and, and being pushed around anymore. So, um, so you got 1.4 billion people who they're really um, they're interested in, in getting richer or getting less poor and, and, and in developing their own potential. And a lot of that means technology. Technology is what is going to drive um, further human. It has been driving human progress, and it will drive it some more. I don't see how that's a threat to the United States. Meanwhile, the United States is going in the opposite direction. Everything from you know, eliminating college boards to you know all, all kinds of, of things that uh, are really not not a plus. No, they're not conducive to a uh, to a growing economy and a growing a national fiber or uh, intellectual. The Chinese are nuts about technology. Americans really aren't. Yeah. Well, it goes with mathematics and science, and, and uh, that's a weakness for the United States for some time, I think. Uh, 
and it's going to cost us dearly long term. Uh, so you so you would generally be uh, you would generally agree with Michael Pembroke that that China is well, an ascending I, I, power. Oh yes, uh, that part I would agree with. As, as an American citizen, I hope he's wrong on the yeah. on the, but I think he's probably you know the the. the the, the latest Biden administration and, you know, taxes, uh, regulations, shut down the Keystone Pipeline, et cetera. You know, the whole litany. This is not these are negative things. And also restrictions, you know, uh, on 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 achievement. That's that's the latest sort of woke stuff. It's you're racist if you're if you're smart yeah. yeah or if you like or if you're or if you're good in mathematics or you like classical music or those various things it's just insanity it, it doesn't make any sense to me either peter but but i you know the us has run these trade deficits for so long uh, china's had these surpluses for so long i believe that that's part of the uh, the the current system, that is the dollar-based system, we needed to have lots of dollars flying around the world if we're going to own the world's reserve currency, lots of liquidity. People can't really go anywhere else except the dollar, it seems, at this point in time. But the Chinese, in the meantime, are building things. The One Bridge, One Road initiative, for example, they've built institutions, financial institutions and things that they've really come to life in, in ways that are, I think are generally positive for humankind. In terms of trade and development and all of that, as you say, they're they're crazy about technology and they're uh, so uh, so. I'm wondering, could you comment just a little bit on on the One Bridge One Road initiative and other things that the Chinese are doing? And also, I'm wondering how are we going to how is the United States going to finance these trillions of dollars of new money that's being spent, uh, giveaways to people, uh, so forth, transfer payments. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are, and, and is that perhaps the weakness that the U.S. is facing, this financial weakness? I mean, we have the military might, and it seems as though maybe that's why we have to think like we, you know, our, our, our whole existence is sort of built around this military might, it seems, and the control of nations and so forth. The U.S. has two major things that, that make it number one right now. One is the, the military. I mean, as Chairman Mao said, all power comes from the bar barrel of a gun. We've got we've got a whole armada of ships lined up along, you know, really along the China coast. They don't have any, which is, you know, it's that's number one. And the other one is the dollar. As long as the dollar is the chief reserve. Uh, we have tremendous power because, you know, with um, companies uh, that if they do what something we don't like, the dollar has to clear through all of the dollars clear through New York. We can yeah. you know, we can shut them down. And we, we did that. It was interesting years ago with the Standard Chartered Bank. They, the CEO was told that the U.S. was going to fine them for violating American sanctions, I think, against Iran. Mm -hmm. And he, um, he said, this is BS. We're not going to. But then his lawyers told him, you clear through the U.S. They can put you out of business tomorrow. Right. So as long as we have that power, we have tremendous. That's what makes we can tell Taiwan Semiconductor not to export to Huawei because we we can shut down Taiwan, although I don't think we we really would want to do that. Um, but we can we have a certain power between the military and the and the dollar. We have a, a hold over them. Yeah. For now. Mm -hmm. But but Peter, I think also the Chinese and the Russians too have, have tried to develop an alternative to the SWIFT system so that they could move uh, transfer money around the globe without going through New York. Uh, isn't there something to that? There's some development yeah, there's along some, those lines. It's, it's, a, it's a sort of first step, but I mean, what what has to happen is that the Chinese currency um, becomes a real rival to the dollar, and it can only be a real rival if it's fully convertible, and it's not. So, although the the, the Stock Connect program in Hong Kong, if you're familiar with that, is certainly a step in the right direction. It's a, they, they bored a hole in the Chinese. Um, uh, exchange wall, but um, that's what has to happen. Ch China really um, cannot uh, compete with the U.S. until they have a fully convertible currency. 
um, you know, this move to a digital currency is uh, these are all steps in the right direction from China's point of view, but um, they've got a, they've still got much further to go. I, I just wonder, you know, what what will it take for that to happen? Continued growth of the Chinese economy and and um, um, and also the 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 Stock Connect program being more successful in Hong Kong. Uh, all these, there's not just one thing, and they, and then I always call them the comrades have to have to let go. I mean, there is something in China, you know, that it's a very top-down system in China, and um, it's been that way for four thousand years. But uh, they they have to let go, and there there are people in China arguing for that. It's but so far they they, they haven't. Well, change is, change is different sometimes. Um, Peter, I want to ask you then, from an American's point of view, uh, with about five minutes left here or so, uh, what about the future for Americans investing in Asia? And I know Asia is a big place. There's lots of different countries and probably. Well, well, I think Americans should look at Asia for investment. However, the number one place is China. And you do have this risk that the that the U.S. will do something irrational and and wrong, and hurt your investments that, that in some way or another. Well, we already had a couple of Chinese companies got delisted. They put the Chinese back blacklisting companies, etc. You're seeing though from Vietnam and and um, uh, well Singapore. Uh, maybe it, you know these things are cooking in in the non-Chinese co- company uh, countries. C company for C Corporation. If you're familiar with that, for its uh, trades in in New York, um, is a Singaporean-based sort of Singaporean. I don't know Amazon. It, it has it's uh, done extremely well. And there are the, a Korean company just came public, uh, Kupang. There are number there are a number of them. There are a number of interesting, uh, uh, and if India would just sort of wake up a little more, um, that would also be interesting. So, and, and Japan isn't dead. <laughs> yeah, they've really been locked down by COVID. It's hurt them a lot, it seems. But uh, well, so the Asians, the Asians have the the East Asians have a Confucian discipline to do these things. They, they, it's part of their culture. They can lock down much better than America. The trouble is now lockdowns are were necessary in the beginning of the virus because we didn't know what it was. But now we do and everybody can get vaccinated and get rid of the lockdowns. So the Asian discipline is, in my opinion, working against them. So you think that uh, what, what we should really do, everybody should get vaccinated and I think you were suggesting get rid of the masks and people just go about their business, basically. Get rid of the masks, go about your business, get vaccinated, um, just do normal things to stay healthy. And, you know, this locking people in their houses has, has tremendous side effects of depression. You know, you've seen it all, the whole litany of things that um, it's, it's bad and we need to get traveling again. Well, that's for sure. Uh, Absolutely, and I think things are opening up here in the U.S., and I think Canada isn't too far away um, right. from, from doing some things, but a lot of the rest of the world seems to be way behind. Well, the, the Asian, East Asians are very, they're very disciplined, so they lock down. I mean, and in China, you don't, you don't walk out, you don't walk out of the hotel and go for a, a, a Slurpee or, or you know, they they know where you are, and and the Chinese accept that. Maybe Americans wouldn't, but yeah, uh, the Chinese accept that, and Americans have to accept that the Chinese are a little different and they have their own culture. Exactly. But I think that, but I think it's, um, I think that we should get rid of the lockdowns, get get rid of the masks, and everybody should get vaccinated. That's my two cents. All right, just uh, with, a, with another with another minute or two left here, yeah, I'd like to get your ideas, your thoughts about potential problems uh, over Taiwan between the U.S. Uh, um, and China? Two countries, well, Taiwan isn't officially a country. The two places in the world that have, the United States has tremendous interest, economic interest. One is Israel and one is 
Taiwan. Taiwan, we depend on Taiwan to Taiwan Semiconductor to produce chips. But Taiwan is historically part of China. And we um, interfered in the Chinese Civil War. We, we prevented the Chinese from attacking uh, Taiwan during the Korean War. And it, it's really my recommendation in one of my letters is to just let the current situation kick this one down the road. Because I don't, I don't have – nobody has uh, a solution for this because the people of Taiwan don't want to become part of, of, of China, majority. So it's, it's – um, it's damned if you do and damned if you don't. We shouldn't be pushing the Chinese. If we cut off all of the Taiwanese exports to China, we're putting ourselves in the same position that we did with the Japanese, which we cut off oil and supplies to Japan. Right. And they attacked Pearl Harbor. It was right. an insane thing to do, but they did it. Exactly. And the Chinese might be incentivized to... to um, attack Taiwan, you know, they're getting stronger every year militarily, and we we're also encouraging them to build up their military. It's really, but I think we should just sort of cool it on, on Taiwan, um, because we have tremendous interest in, in Taiwan. Semiconductor, all the Taiwan is, is, is if, ta if Taiwan were taken off the map tomorrow, the world would go into a depression. There are a lot of countries which could go away and no one would care. I don't want to name them, but um, not Taiwan. Which is, I shouldn't call it a country. I'll be the comrades will be after me. But uh. <laughs> well, I, I I hear what you're saying, Peter. Uh, great insights. I want to thank you so much for spending time with us today, and I, I hope we can do this some more because uh, you do have a, a unique perspective. I think you know you're. You're an American, so you see what goes on here. You understand our culture, but you're, I believe, married to a Chinese lady. So obviously, you know the Chinese side of things and the way they think. And you know, most of us don't have the advantage of both, uh, both, both experiences. So, I want to thank you so much, Peter, for being with us, and uh, we'll look my to do pleasure. it. Again. Well, that's all the time we have for this week, folks. Uh, next week, my guest will be Ron Stofferly, who co-authors the best annual book on gold titled In Gold We Trust. Uh, he'll be with me then uh, next week. And also Dr. Quentin Henning will join me to talk about the emerging world-class gold-rich polymetallic project in British Columbia uh, that is being explored and developed by SK Mining Corp. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.